Galatians 4, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege that is ours to be together in your presence, worshiping you. Draw our attention to yourself. Teach us, mold us, encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. The season that we're in, we're all familiar with what goes on. We move from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Through the course of these periods of time, we recount all of the blessings. We are thankful for blessings of life and family, health and material blessings. And we're thankful for spiritual blessings that God pours out into our lives. And as we head toward Christmas, uh, we begin to purchase presents for those that we love. We try to think of something that's useful and thoughtful and that would be appreciated. Well, whether we realize it or not, we have been blessed continually. We're inundated with numerous spiritual blessings from God. We could list spiritual blessing after spiritual blessing throughout the morning. But this morning, we're going to focus in on one. One spiritual blessing will be at the helm of our consideration. We'll focus upon this blessing and upon the blessing's impact upon our lives and upon the world around us. At the moment that we trusted Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, in addition to having our eternal destiny with God secured, we were given a precious gift, the most precious gift, God's very spirit, God's very presence in our lives. Look, please, with me at Galatians chapter 4 and just verse 6. Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Contextually, the context of this is that uh, because of what Christ has done in bearing our sin and providing us a perfect record of righteousness, we call that justification, because we've trusted Jesus Christ for our salvation, there's faith, and God has changed our record from sinner to saint, there are some other blessings that take place, and one of which is God has made us his sons. God has adopted us into his own family. And so the context here is that we've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, and it's resulted in sonship, that we're, we're God's very own sons. We have an inheritance that is ours. And as part of that blessing of sonship, the way that it, it really comes to its uh, fullest blossom is that God has given us this union with him. He's united us together. And the way that we sense that is because God has poured out his spirit into our spirit so that God's spirit in us and through us cries out, Abba, Father. It, it, this recognition that I am now completely and intimately and eternally attached to the God who always has been, to the God who conceived of my salvation before he ever created the world, to the God who through his son created everything that you see. God has poured out his spirit into us and, and he's showed us that we have this glorious and intimate relationship with him forever, forever. The spirit 
has been sent out into our hearts. So, a few weeks ago, we talked about some of the blessings of the Holy Spirit. So, this morning, we'll review a couple of those briefly. And then we're going to focus in on one way in which the blessing of the Holy Spirit in our lives really makes an impact in our lives. First of all, we want to note, and this is a review point, the Spirit produces life. The Spirit produces life. So God sending his Spirit into our lives is the entrance of spiritual life. Remember in Galatians chapter 3, you, um, ha- have you begun, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? So the entrance of the Spirit is the beginning of our spiritual lives. Take a look with me at a couple of passages of Scripture. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. A vitally important passage of Scripture. It teaches us of the nature of salvation. We should be, as best as possible, experts in this subject. The nature of salvation. How does salvation come? So many have so many ideas of how salvation comes. And yet the Bible depicts very clearly one way towards salvation. And it eliminates competition. This passage eliminates any competition toward the source of our salvation. Beginning in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says this, and you were, what? What does that tell you? You had nothing to offer. You could do nothing spiritually. You were dead in trespasses and sins. How bad was it? Well, we once walked in these following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. What does verse 4 say? Well, what does this do to our understanding of the nature of salvation? God entered into the fray. (laughs) Well, he was never out of the fray. But God needed to intervene in our deadness. Where we were dead, he had to give what? Life. But God, who was rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other, before we read verses 8 and 9, we're very familiar with them. What is that saying? Well, we're dead, and God intervened, made us alive, so that it would be obvious who the source of life is is and where the grace arrived from and who really deserves credit for it. And so he caps it off with verses 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now Ephesians 2 is talking about God making us alive. It doesn't speak of the Spirit Uh, As such, it's not bringing the Spirit's role to the forefront. However, we understand that when we go from death to life, it's a a God thing, it's a deity thing, it's a a supernatural 
transaction. And Jesus gives us some insight on this in John chapter 6 and verse 63, where the Bible says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help. What does that say? How does this jive with so much of religion? It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. Not at all. Not even a bit. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is developing the idea that, that we have this, this new covenant. And the new covenant is life-giving. And he says, you have this ministry in you. you and, and this ministry that's in you is not your ministry. You're ministers of it. It's God who is sufficient. And then in verse 6, he says this who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit does what? Gives life. The Spirit gives life. We have life because of the Spirit. Now, one more passage. We want to look at Titus chapter 3. This is glorious. Glorious, glorious truth. If you're a believer, you want to be an expert as much as you're able in that which is the source of your eternal salvation. God tells us and tells us again on the pages of Scripture how He is the rescuer, how He's the one who gives life, and how we on our own go our own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've wandered in our own way. But God has laid on Him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. This is the glory of the gospel, and the gospel is from Genesis through Revelation. The Spirit gives life. Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. How did he do it? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's so much here, we could spend a lot of time here. It is not a religious journey that produces life. Did you hear that? It is not a religious journey that produces life. It is God's Spirit who brings us from death to life. How do we know that we have this life? God poured out his spirit into our hearts. And by that spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit bears witness with our spirit, Romans chapter 8 tells us, that we are the sons of God. So God gives us his spirit. We know that we have come from death to life because we've trusted Christ alone for our eternal salvation. This is clear evidence. It's clearly an evidence of the Spirit's work. He has made us alive. Because no man calls Christ Lord 
except the Spirit does this work. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So the Spirit gives life. What a blessing. What a gift. You think about all the gifts you've ever received. Oh, one time I got this, this great, what? Guitar. Piano. I got a bicycle. I got a motorcycle. One time for Father's Day, my wife took me out and we bought a motorcycle. That was kind of a great gift. Who gets a motorcycle for Father's Day? Nobody that I know of. I did. That is amazing. What kind of a gift is that? That's really cool. It doesn't compare. It doesn't compare to when God places his spirit in me and takes me from death to life and, and unites me forever to God. What a gift he gives life. Secondly, the spirit guarantees our inheritance of eternal life. Okay, so he's giving us life, but he guarantees our inheritance of it. You know, so many people are, are they battle the texts of scripture. The Bible tells us that our relationship with God, our inheritance of eternal life is not based upon gaining our salvation or maintaining our salvation. That's a work of God. The entrance into salvation, the continuance in salvation, and the finality of salvation, we call that justification, sanctification, and glorification, those are all the work of God. And so the Spirit is our guarantee. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians 1, a very familiar passage. Now, it, it, the, the whole thing is, is a, a declaration of praise of God's blessedness. It's really speaking about God the Father throughout, from verse uh, 3 all the way to verse 14. However, there's emphases throughout that that we're praising God the Father for himself, first of all, in verses 3 through 6, about God's plan, how he has sovereignly chosen us and adopted us for his own glory. And then from verses 7 through 12, it's, it's praising God the Father for his glorious work through Jesus Christ and the grace we've received to have an inheritance in him. And then in verses 13 and 14, we're praising God the Father for the glorious gift of the Spirit. What does it tell us about the Spirit in verses 13 and 14? It says, in him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you believed in Jesus after you heard the gospel, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed. The, the concept, just to kind of really dumb it down, is like a signature. It's as if you have this possession and you want to make sure that no one takes your possession and you take out a Sharpie. Now, you don't want to use a Sharpie on everything because it makes a mess. But this thing, you want to use a Sharpie on it so no one can take it. It's permanent marker, so you write on it your name or some symbol that shows that this belongs to you. You write it, this is mine. When God gave you his spirit, that was God saying, I'm going to write my name on you. You belong to me. Now, it's not a selfish you belong to me. It's a safe you belong to me. Once he signed his name on you, you are his forever. No one could ever remove you from his grasp. That's glory, folks. That's grace. 
And if you didn't get it from that symbology, uh, uh, symbolism, in verse 14 he says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what he tells you in verse 14 is, he's the down payment, he's a little foretaste of the full possession that you will have in heaven, which is God himself. He's a foretaste. This is the glory of the Spirit. He's a guarantee of our eternal inheritance in God. The Bible gives a similar rendering of this in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 20 through 22. It's on the screen behind me. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, meaning Jesus. Listen, you hear what that says? All the promises of God find their I've done it <laughs> in him. All the promises of God are fulfilled in him. Not in me, not in you, not in the world, not in Israel, not in the church, in him. All of the promises find their yes in Jesus. He goes on and he says, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal, his signature on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You know what? If you just try to follow this logic, every one of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ. And God says, I've placed my spirit in you. You know what that does? It unites us to Christ. And so in that regard, all of God's promises are fulfilled in us. Because we're in Christ. So the basis of our salvation is Christ. The guarantee of our salvation is Christ. And the mark of that is that the Spirit dwells within us. This is good news. The blessing of the Spirit is, first of all, that he takes us from death to life. Secondly, that he guarantees our eternal inheritance. Thirdly, the Spirit indwells the believer, which is very similar to what we're talking about, but we're going to take it a step further. Remember in Galatians 4, 6, it says, God has sent his Spirit, or the Spirit of his Son, into our hearts. God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. Keep that in mind. We're going to think about this and its impact. This is so vital and relevant to us. Take a look at Romans chapter 8. I think we looked at this a few weeks ago as well. Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 9, the Bible says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Why does he say that? Well, verse 8 says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're in the flesh, you can't please God. Verse 9, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. So what does that also mean? You please God. Is that what he's telling you? That's the contrast that goes on from verse 8 to 9. He goes on and he says, if in fact the Spirit dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What does he keep telling us? The spirit dwells in you. Who is he talking to? People that have trusted Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Everyone who has trusted Jesus Christ alone for their salvation 
have the Spirit dwelling within them. Take a look at John chapter 14 as Jesus gives us some significance to the Spirit's dwelling in us. Why, why is that so important? We've already seen some of it by, by considering that the Spirit's crying out within us, Abba, Father. So he's tying us intimately with the Father. In John 14, beginning in verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That's a parakletos. It's one who comes alongside. He will give you another comforter to be with you. How long? Forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does, uh, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. Listen carefully, for he dwells with you. Right now he dwells with you. And he will be in you. So it goes from with to in. With to in. There's a change that takes place. Now, I want to, to show you how John 14 is connected to Galatians 4. Look at what he says in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Orphans. Now in Galatians 4, what is the context of the spirit coming into us? Sonship. So Jesus kind of gives us a little hint at what's going on in Galatians 4 ahead of time. When God sends his spirit into our lives, it takes us from one who has no place with God, I'm an orphan, to a one who now has all of the legal rights and benefits of a relationship with him. He's taken us and made us sons. With the indwelling of the Spirit, we have an available teacher, right? Because the Bible is spiritually discerned. We have an available comforter, one who comes alongside to aid, an available guide, and an available strengthener, one who comes to give us the help that we need. To what extent... This is an important question. To what extent does the Spirit strengthen us to do the will of God? This is an important question. To what extent does the Spirit strengthen the believer to do the will of God? What's the answer, folks? Completely. Completely. The flesh is no help at all. So the Spirit, when he's given as this available strength gives us everything that we need so that we can fulfill God's will and God's purpose. What is the significance of this? From the very beginning, this, this, is, this is really important, God has been teaching us that he intends for his people to dwell on this earth and to bring about the demonstration of his kingdom. We use another term sometimes called dominion. From the very beginning, God has been teaching us that his people are to demonstrate his kingdom on this earth. And he intends to do this by bringing his presence among his people. Now, as we consider it in the New Testament, the spirit dwelling in us, we see a couple of texts about this. And I want you to turn there for just a moment. And then I want to just do a, a little panoramic Bible Consideration. It'll take us just a few minutes to do it. 
Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. We were there for briefly a few moments ago. The significance of the Spirit dwelling within us is, is manifold. It's mul multiple. There's, there's so many elements of significance to the Spirit's dwelling in us. But one of the elements of significance is that God wants his presence to be displayed through us that the world will see that he rules over the kingdom of men. Here in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 19, the Bible says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Listen carefully to verse 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So God's presence in and among his people. Now we've got individual people indwelt by the Spirit. And then we have the, the fullness of it as the church functions together. The demonstration of who God is is clear as the church is God's temple. In addition to the individual being God's temple, God's people corporately are God's temple. And the spirit brings forth the fullness of God. So now look at chapter 3. We read this in our scripture reading. We're going to cut right into the context because we got the context in our scripture reading. Verse 17. Uh, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, how? Through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So in other words, we want God, God's presence to be in his people, demonstrating himself for what purpose? Verse 19, and uh, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled, that you, the church, may be filled with all the fullness of God. What are we talking about here? A display of true deity. A display of God himself. What God is doing by placing his spirit in his people is to bring forth a demonstration of who he is. He's real. He is alive. He is active. And he's been doing this from the very start. If you'll remember, just go through this progress with me in the Bible. God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Daily. What was he doing? Well, what were they supposed to do? They were to take dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the creeping things that creep on the earth, God was present with them so that they might exercise God's kingdom on the earth. As you follow, follow a little further in the Bible, God walks with Enoch and Noah, and he appears regularly to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. What is he doing? He's, he's letting his presence be known. As you follow a little further, he, he reveals himself in the burning bush and several other ways to Moses. And then he commands Moses to build what? A tabernacle. 
And that tabernacle was a visible display of God's presence among his people. How, how did they know he was there? Well, at night, God appeared in a pillar of fire. And during the day, God appeared as a pillar of cloud. That same presence of God filled the temple. And then the Bible tells us in the book of John, chapter 1, that God tabernacled among us. Now, who is this? Jesus. We beheld his glory. The glory of his the Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God dwelt among his people. He, he dwelt among them, and, and there was a visible presence. At Jesus' departure, he reminded his people that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit would be a visible representation through the church, would be a visible presentation um, excuse me, would not be a visible presentation as Jesus himself walking about or as the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire, but rather an inner witness for the church, an inner witness, which then would turn itself into a visible display by the way that the church demonstrates who God is. This all is taking place so that at the consummation of all of God's plans, we can see that God's purpose was that God would eternally dwell with his people. So, do you notice the progression of all of this? Do you see that at every stage it gets just a little bit better, it seems? You go from this vision of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to Jesus' actual presence. Like, that's better, right? You, like, you don't get better than a revelation of who Jesus is. We would all love to walk with Jesus as he went through the earth and performing his ministry. Like, we would all long for that. But I, I, I submit to you, and I do this reverently, and I want you to think, think this through. That's one place at a time because Jesus was in one human body. When Jesus departed and he said, this will be better for you, the Spirit dwelt in every believer where? Wherever they were. Through the dwelling of the Spirit, God dwells in millions of believers today all around the globe. Back in Jesus' day, Jesus was in Israel. I am not saying that the Spirit is better than Jesus. How could you compare God with God? You know, God is God. Jesus is God. The Spirit is God. One is not better than the other. The reality is the Spirit comes so that we might visually display God's kingdom. God's kingdom is spreading around the globe. Did you know that? We, we get caught up in Rhode Island. <laughs> we think, I think we're losing. <laughs> we're, lo we're losing the battle. God never loses. Are you on his side? Are you on his team? Are you one of his sons? Is the spirit dwelling within you? If that's true, then, then you, you're on the winning side. Our new Sunday school curriculum, starting January 8th, is going to be pointing out throughout the whole Bible God's plan to bring the gospel to the world. From Genesis to Revelation, that curriculum is going to point us to the gospel and how God was bringing the gospel to the world 
through every generation, and how that applies to us today to bringing the gospel to the world. I really want to challenge you folks. Don't miss out on an opportunity to see God's word communicated and to see God's purpose and broader plan. Um, we're going to go on a journey together. Three years it takes to go through our curriculum. Maybe a little longer for us because there'll be some weeks maybe we don't meet and so it'll push into three and a half years or whatever the case may be. We're going to go on a journey together. Don't miss that opportunity to see from Genesis through Revelation what God is doing. God has a, a great and a beautiful plan that he incorporates us right into the fabric of it. It, it is such a beautiful thing. So we've been thinking about this morning God's blessing of the Spirit in our lives. It is a gift of his presence. It's a gift of his power. The gift of the Spirit enables us to put God on display in the world. And the means by which God has done this, how does he accomplish sending the Spirit into our lives? Was the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, you don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's the, the forerunner to bring forth this gift of the Spirit. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, verses 32 and following, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. It is through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that we have received the gift of eternal life and the gift of the Spirit and his presence and this union and this intimacy with God through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift that was purchased. It was purchased at a great cost. It was the cost of Jesus' sacrificial death. And we all know about this. Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He obeyed the Father. He fulfilled the law. He was rejected by men according to the plan of God. God determined that men would reject him so that he might be the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And Jesus, in all of his perfection, went to the cross. And God laid our sin on him. He became sin for us, even though he knew no sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God through him. He bore our sin. And it is through that sacrificial death his burial and resurrection as he ascended up he reminded us I will in like manner send and the spirit did come Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost and filled the church and has been every believer indwelled by the spirit not necessarily filled by the spirit is there not a difference there is and so our goal, folks, as believers who have received eternal salvation through Jesus and this gift of the Spirit dwelling within us from now until the day of redemption is to yield ourselves to him to be filled with the Spirit. For what reason? To what end? That Jesus' 
fruitfulness, that God's fruitfulness, that God's kingdom would be on display here in this world that, that doesn't have anything to compare that to. There's no comparison between God's kingdom and everything that's being offered to people today. It is so different. It is so unique. And that is how God continues to save people generation after generation after generation through his good work through the spirit in the lives of his people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've given us this gift. It is incomparable, and we rejoice in all you've done. We pray for anyone here that's never received Jesus as their Savior and then does not have the treasure of sonship, of eternal life, and your spirit, that even in these moments they would realize their desperate need for you and for this gift that you have offered through faith in Jesus alone. We pray that you might bring to yourself those who have not yet trusted Jesus. And for those of us that have, we pray that we would rejoice in the glory of our Savior, that we would rejoice in the blessings that have come through him and his work. We pray that we would be yielded to your spirit, that the world about us might see the glory of your, your name, the glory of your work, the glory of your person, that they too might come to know Jesus as their Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.